It's all about people. Forget your product, forget your service. Everybody out there is doing the same thing. Focus on that one-to-one interpretation of the person. You're listening to Stories from the Top, an inside guide to better business development. We are here with Mo El Husini, the founder and president of The Growth Coach. Mo, for people who aren't familiar with your business, what do you do? What I do, Matt, is I uh, work with anywhere from small to large businesses, business owners, help them strategize their business, systemize it, uh, generally speaking, do more with less. So help them better manage their inputs, their resources, and what they get out of it. It could fall under also helping them with their teams, uh, team performance, help them with their uh, changing their mindset, their approach to how they uh, manage their sales process, their uh, marketing process. So it's not necessarily doing the work for them, but just helping them kind of like change their mindset to better improve their uh, business operations. And you have um, you also work in education. And do you have any other businesses as well? Can you give us your full. Yes, what I do is uh, uh, I also own a dry cleaning company uh, for upholstery and uh, furn- uh, furniture, drapes, carpets, and so on. My wife manages it, but I kind of you know get involved a little bit with running it every now and then. Uh, I also teach at a university level. Um, business operations, strategy, uh, sales and marketing, um, operations management um, at a graduate and undergraduate level. Very cool. So, yeah, you do a ton of stuff. I'm really excited for our conversation today because you have a lot of great info for our listeners. Thank you. Thank you. So what did you originally go to school for and what were your plans for a career? Undergrad, I started off with a biology uh, undergrad degree. My intention back then was to go into uh, lab work, cytotechnology, and so on. I graduated, tried it for a little bit, didn't really like it very much. Um, I didn't feel like it was my passion to do so. So I switched gears and went into uh, the business arena and started going into, I did my MBA in uh, global management. Then I did a doctorate in uh, geopolitics and uh, strategic studies. Uh, And after that, I did an MS uh, from Stevens Institute of Technology in data management. So as I progressed through that, those studies, I realized more and more that I uh, like working more in the business world. In parallel, while I was doing that, Matt, I started working in uh, very, very, very early on in my career. I worked in uh, customer service. Then I switched to uh, client relationship management. From there, it kind of opened the door for me through networking to work in uh, sales and marketing operations. Did that for a while, went into a little bit of data analytics. Then I switched to consulting and did that for a couple of years, starting getting a little too demanding for me. That's kind of when I started slowing down my momentum and switched to academia teaching. And that was around 2015, 2016. And I started as well coaching at that point in time. So that that was kind of like the progress of my career. But just the more and more I worked in the business side and started working with client relationships and business development, I realized that was my niche or what I wanted to do. So what's the breakdown? Like how much of your time is spent in academia currently? How much is spent on running your businesses? Academia, I would say about... The beauty of the academia, Jeremy, is that the schedule changes every semester and it's flexible, right? Granted, yes, I have the set schedule for the classes and advising, but I would say to answer your question in general, maybe about four days in uh, academia, 
but I combine within those some time for coaching as well. So like maybe mornings or afternoons or vice versa, right? One half for one and the other half for the other. Plus the rest of the days I do the coaching because I do have some clients that prefer to meet on weekends, which works out well for me. Um, and in between, really, I kind of manage with my wife the uh, other business, which is a good thing really to think about. If I, if you look at it this way, I practice what I preach because one of the things that I do with my business owners is to help them better manage their time, right? So that they do kind of what I do, which is every minute I spend doing something, I try to make it count, right? There is really no busy for the sake of being busy kind of thing, right? So when I do lay out my schedule, there's kind of like a mental quadrant that I apply, right? Where I say, what is urgent and important that I need to work on? What is urgent, but maybe not important? What is important, but not urgent? And what is neither one? So mentally every day, I kind of like work that through my mind. I got used to when I wake up in the morning, you know, kind of set my schedule mentally to know what I need to focus on for that day. And I take it from there. It changes every now and then, but that's kind of like in general the the mentality that I apply across all businesses day to day. Yeah. So of the different businesses that you now run, which one did you start first? Coaching. Coaching? Coaching, yes. I started with the coaching, consulting and coaching. So when I say consulting, the differences in the consulting when I help companies build their CRM or their customer databases, their uh, uh, platforms, I'm working with their IT team to kind of do the actual work. Coaching, like I said before, you know, I'm, you know, it's kind of like a trainer at the gym. He tells you what to do, but you do the actual work. So I started with those first. And then around 2018, we started the business. And yeah, that's mainly the sequence of the events. Yeah. How did you initially get those coaching and consulting clients? How did it begin? Honestly, Matt, I think I was approached by a couple of business owners. One of them was my student, graduated many, many years down the road. He came to me and asked, can you help me with this? You know, I'm starting a business and I remember you taught me this, this and this. And that was one of the aha moments where I'm like, hmm, you know, in addition to consulting, maybe I could also start coaching businesses because it really worked. And then just through word of mouth, a couple of people started coming, approaching me. You know, we heard you helped so-and-so start their business, hiring people and growing. Can you help us to do the same thing? Once I saw that it caught momentum, I kind of formalized the process, so to speak. You know, and made it more into like an actual business. So it started with the uh, CRM, with the consulting, and then the coaching kind of like came about as a second step. So because you were teaching, you already had an authority in this area, and then you kind of built your business around that. Well said. That was kind of the other area where they both complemented each other, meaning I taught material, more theoretical But then I took the main ideas and I applied it in the business and then vice versa. In my classes, I utilize some of the experiences that I had, good or bad, lessons learned, and I transform them into case studies that we apply in school. So that's why it works really well. I I utilize both venues to help the other, one help the other. Did you have any mentors or anyone who kind of helped you get into that coaching position? Or was that something you just kind of figured out with your education background and all your... I have to think about that one. Consulting, I think I had a mentor back from my corporate years. Coaching, and I do not want to miss giving credit to anyone that I owe credit to. There were were people that helped me definitely along the road, uh... I got a lot of assistance from the chamber, right, in the Lehigh Valley. I joined different networking uh, groups uh, like LITIP and so on that also helped me grow my base. As far as mentoring, though, I can't 
think of one specific person. I, I mean, I owe a lot. I mean, gratitude to many people that helped me along the way, but I can't honestly think of one name right now. If it comes up later on, I'll uh, I'll let you know. Yeah. So I'm curious, as you were coming from like the business world in the classroom, and then you started running your own business. Were there any noticeable differences between those two worlds, like the theories of business versus the applied, realistic, um, the realities of running your own business? The environment is a lot more unpredictable in real life. In classrooms, we tend to create the world where we want to apply the case study to. But in real life, we don't know when there will be an unfortunate event that happens. If we're going to get a perfect storm kind of scenario where many things happen at once between COVID hitting, between someone losing a family member, between somebody losing their becoming homeless, right? Like a lot of things. I had business owners that one day they're doing great, but then it's kind of like a domino effect. One thing that leads to the other leads to the other. So you tend to notice that in real life, we don't really control the environment. And to give an example about what how this links to academia, in strategy, I teach something called the black swan event, which is when something bad happens that you did not account for, you did not anticipate, you did not see coming, COVID, right? We teach that in school and classes. In real life, it was COVID. When it hit, a lot of businesses were disrupted, especially businesses that were service-oriented, that relied on the people interaction type of environment, right? So you kind of see how they can link and at the same time how they're different, that you just don't, you can't anticipate everything that will come at you in your business. Yeah. I, yeah, I wanted to ask a little bit about Excuse me. Once you were decided to run the business as a serious business endeavor, what was your process to put a bunch of systems together to actually manage the business and all the different things? Because you have a great background and knowledge in the space and you're helping a lot of people. But how did you actually create a business where you were now in charge of the accounting and the marketing and the sales and all those things? What was your process for building that out? Very good question. I did not have that platform, right? Which is the, like you said, tracking my customer list, my database, my accounting part, the finances. I started putting little pieces together from working with clients and asking them what they do. But then eventually I joined the Growth Coach franchise. Right. And one of the reasons I joined them was to get that platform. I kind of felt like I had the means and the system to do the coaching, but I did not have that solid platform foundation to properly go out and grow. So when I tapped into the growth coach world, in addition to that platform that I can utilize. I also had that collective network of those other coaches that were maybe one of them was more seasoned in the accounting arena. One of them was more seasoned in the legal arena. So if I needed, I don't know everything, right? Nobody does, realistically speaking. I coach in what I'm an expert at, but there are some clients that I get that maybe need more bookkeeping. They need more accounting stuff, which I am not good at right? Something that is quantitative. So I send them to the right coach to help them. So that helped me greatly to start to, uh, as a catalyst to steady my business, give it a, a proper structure and then properly grow it, which was very different. If I apply your question to my uh, dry cleaning business, I went to someone that was retiring. I'm like, here's X amount of money. Teach me everything that you know. He taught me, I took that, I went out, applied it myself with a couple of customers, made some mistakes, learned what I should do and what I should not do. I hired people, let them go out. I trained them to go out and do the work. I bought a van, bought a piece of equipment. Then I bought the next, the next, the next. I systemized the business. Then I handed it over to my wife to run it, right? So in one case, you could see where I organically growed it, started it out of nothing and grew it out of nothing. But in the other case, 
I realized I cannot do the same thing. They're two different kind of animals. So that one, I resorted to reaching out to the growth coach, which helped me significantly. Is is it difficult to look at your dry cleaning business from a subjective point of like objectively outside of being an own, having ownership of it? Are you mm-hmm. able to look at it and break it down from a coaching lens? Or do you have to bring someone else in to give you a perspective on something? My wife asked me that question a couple of years ago. And I was like, you know what? I do not. It took a mental change to kind of step out and look at yourself and be like, am I really doing what I'm telling other people to do? And that was like when I was telling Jeremy a few minutes ago about managing my time. I didn't realize I was doing that until I kind of verbally, mentally went through what I verbally tell my clients and be like, hmm, I do actually apply that. But you know what? I do not apply maybe this part, this part, this part. So it took some, it takes a little bit of transparency and open-mindedness to critique yourself the same way you critique other businesses. Because sometimes exactly like what, what my uh, my uh clients do they get caught up working in the business than working on the business and i realized that kind of vicious cycle you can get sucked into it very easily so yeah it does take you know it's a it's a really good question matt because you do need to take a pause to kind of apply the same critique you give to your coach your clients to yourself Right. So, yeah, it sometimes you get caught up, you forget to do so. But, yeah, sometimes you look at it and, yeah, there were some things that I should change, some things that I was doing well, some things that needed an improvement, just like in any business. Yeah, that's something like as we work on our own business development over the years, it's you really have to separate that emotion from the business and just are we looking at this objectively? Our strategic goal here is to grow the business and help it thrive. But, yeah. It can be challenging to find that lens to look at your business objectively. How do you, I agree? What's your strategy when you're working with a client to get them to see their business from that perspective, where they're not emotionally attached to the systems and processes or lack of? That begs a question that I should, or a point that I should bring up mm-hmm. before I answer this. One of the key components that I realize. Is and as a foundation to my interaction with my clients is their personality, right? We all have different tendencies. So, and I'm not going to say some, and that's why I say tendencies because it's not someone is different or better or worse than the other. But I'll, I'll apply this to your question. There are some clients that I work with; they're very welcoming and understanding to the the fact that from the second or third meeting that we sit together, there are some things that they need to do. There are some clients that once we start tackling our the, the points or certain parts of their business that they need to work on, some of them go into denial mode, some of them go into defensive mode, some of them you know, you get different reactions when you start the conversation. So what I tend to do, which is actually something I tell my uh, clients to do with their customers, I relate to them. I relate to them first. And I try to bring out what needs to be done through a Q&A process rather than me in the classroom, like what I was telling Jeremy, where I go in and say, all right, this is what we need to do. This is what we're going to cover. This is what we need to talk about. With a client, I realize that it's more of a give and take process. So it's a self-discovery, a reality check kind of uh, situation where Things come up as we talk that I point out to them and I try to leave it up to them to say, oh, you know what? Yeah, we do really need to work on this. Some come to me and tell me, listen, I need help. This is my business. This is everything that I'm doing. Here's my numbers. Tell me what to do. Other ones, it takes a little more finessing and a different kind of approach to get them to open up and see what really needs to be done. And, that, and mainly that's just creative questioning to let them discover exactly. the Exactly. It is. So. It's, you look at the reality that you're in, and I literally call it this uh, reality check, reality discovery, self-discovery, 
This is where my business is at. This is where I want to be. What's the gap? How do we close that gap? Yeah. So if someone's listening and they're having an issue with their business, do you have any like example questions they could maybe think through themselves to see things from a different perspective, just so we get a kind of sense of... One of the questions that I ask, Matt, is why did you start the business? Meaning what was my passion to start the business? Was it strictly a financial reason, right? For example, it was financial, right? So I started my business to make money, like most people do. Where did you want to be with this business? So in a year, I wanted to have 10 employees. I wanted to be in an office. I wanted, I wanted, I wanted. Where are you today? Well, I only have one employee and I'm doing most of the work myself. Why did that happen? Right? So you're trying to ask the question, start with what was that idea that I had in my mind for my business when I started it? Just when it was still an embryo, an idea in my mind, right? What is it that I wanted? Now I started the business. Where did I want to be? I want it to be here. Where am I right now? Some some are working exactly the way that they wanted things to be. God bless them and it's good. But those are the kind of questions that you ask. And the idea, Matt, is that you have to be very harshly honest with yourself. Right? It's very different from we all love our businesses. We all love what we offer, right? We all take pride in what we do and we rightfully should. But one of the first things I tell my clients, which is anyone that's listening, they should do. I literally tell them, stop loving your business and start looking at the outside world. Stop looking at your service. Stop looking at your product. Stop loving it and think out of the box. Why do you say that, Mo? That's what they ask me and I tell them, because the fact of the matter is, if you're selling this, if you're selling this, if you're offering this, there is someone out there that is directly competing with you. And that person, your golden customer, is their golden prospect that they're trying to take from you. So if you do not stop focusing on your little world, your product or your service, and you don't see the outside picture, you're going to lose something. So that's one other thing that people should think about. Okay, yes, I make a really, really good fresh baked cookie and no one else makes it like me. Then what? Are you really where you want to be? Is your business growing the way you wanted it to grow? Do you just have a set group of customers that you're content with? Do you need to grow your customer base, right? So all those questions, just challenge yourself. And to sum it up, to end my response, if you notice from every, all those yucky questions I'm throwing out there, the idea is, Mr. Business Owner, get comfortable being uncomfortable. Break out of your comfort zone, right? All of us, when we get challenged, when we get stressed, we crawl back into that comfort cave that we have, right? I stop my clients from doing that. So again, for anybody listening, do not take as a step one when something bad happens that you go back into your comfort zone, meaning don't go back to doing what you're good at that you've been doing every day. It's not enough. Right. Challenge yourself, challenge the status quo that you're in. Go out there, look at what's out there, what your competition is doing, what your customers are asking, what they're complaining about to better understand the reality that you live in and that you're operating in. So I imagine every client of yours pretty much starts with that discovery type of meeting. Is it a pretty varying path from there based on what their goals are, or what their needs are? Yes. And to add on to that, a second component the second component is we do a discovery on the business and we do a discovery on the individual. Remember that what I told you about earlier about the personalities being different with that going into detail, because that could be a whole other discussion. There's four types of people over the past thousands of years from Aristocrates, Hippocrates, the, the people were always grouped into four categories. They were called different things, but for some reason, most of the time it was four. One of the analysis I do, which is called the DISC analysis, I try to analyze the business owner to have him or her see 
better understand themselves, what they're good at, what they're bad at, what tendencies they have. Uh, so we do that personality discovery. And then, yes, we do the business discovery. We look at both together because sometimes the business is great, but the approach that the, the business owner has with his team or with his clients, short-tempered, impatient, too direct, right? Too aggressive in his marketing approach. So we look at both and then, yes, we take it from there. So it's not like a, a cookie cutter kind of approach where no matter what you have, here is what you need to do. I don't have templates at home that I follow, right? I don't have modules that I apply. It's very fluid based upon what the problem is. Sometimes it's internal, sometimes it's operations, sometimes it's in the sales and marketing, sometimes it's in the team and so on. Do you ever hit a business where it's just a bad concept? Like, is that yeah, that and that up? one is very difficult to 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 bring up, Matt. You know, it, it's very difficult to go and tell a business owner, you know what, really, it's just that your business is not needed, right? Luckily, I did not have that a lot. But I did have cases where a business owner had, a, um, I don't want to call it financial advising, but he was working, that client was working in the financial advising field. Every time we meet, every time we meet, and I ask that client, I want to say he or she just out of respect for their privacy. But every time we meet, explain to me, Mr. Client, what you do. I get an answer. The next time I get a different answer. The, so to test my idea, I took that client to a networking event. And I introduced him to different people because I wanted to see if they're seeing the same thing that I'm seeing, right? And after the networking event, I came up to a couple of my uh, colleagues. I'm like, when you talk to this client, did you get an idea what they do? They're like, no, we still don't understand what they do. So the point was that client was working in a service that I think was not needed. It was an advisor, but they were not certified or licensed to do any actual financial planning or investment. So they were kind of like in a niche that no one needed. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it was a very gradual, painful process. And I didn't, in all honesty, come flat out and say, hey, listen, stop doing this. But by having that client interact with others, I kind of let them see the light on their own, right? To see that they weren't getting any clients on their own, right? No one was coming to them. People didn't understand what they were doing. So it kind of, they're like, hmm, you know what? Maybe I am in the wrong field or I should just reinvent my business. So yeah, it does happen. Just to go back um, a little bit, I wanted to see if you could break down those four different people types you mentioned. I could tell, yeah, sure, I could do that. We could call one the dominant type. We could call one the influencer. We could call one the steady and one the compliant. So let me give an example. There are some people that when you talk to, they're more focused on the people part of the interaction than on the task, right? So there's people-oriented type of individuals and task-oriented type of individuals. I get stopped on the highway by a police officer and we're joking, we're laughing. Oh, I'm sorry, you know, my wife was having a baby. I'm, I'm trying to rush back home. He's chatting with me. Oh, wow, you know, and we talk. That's a people-oriented eye type of individual that likes to build rapport and talk. Another police officer stops me and I tell him aliens from Mars invaded my house. It's the first time it happens in the human history. I need to run back home to see what they're doing. Uh-uh, you're going five minutes over the speed limit. I don't care what is happening. I'm giving you a ticket, no matter what the reason is, right? You go to work. You have a manager. You punch in your time card. You're two minutes late. You are 120 seconds late. I'm going to write you up task-oriented, right? So there's these different types of people. So the dominant kind is usually task-oriented and they're very aggressive, very quick pace. They want to get to the end point. This is what I want done. Do it, do it, do it, do it, do it. I don't care how you do it, get it done. Very aggressive. Versus the I, 
the kind of person that is more people-oriented. They like to socialize. They like to talk. So to give you an example, I go out with a client that's a high I. I spent the first two meetings doing nothing but just having lunches, getting to know them, listening to them, hearing what their pain points are, what's good in their business, good in their life. We socialize, we build that rapport before we even talk about anything related to business, right? Now, the compliant kind is someone that we call the high C, someone that's very task-oriented, detail-oriented, measures twice before they cut, right? They are very programmatic in how they think, very realistic, right? And the steady kind is someone that values loyalty. They're sometimes seen as passive. They don't express their emotions very well. So you could look at it. We can spend hours talking about those four types, right? There's many, many different ways to look at it. And to even complicate it more, none of us are one type. We're a mix of a couple, right? So those four, they vary, like the dynamic of them varies in each individual to make up who we are. But here's where it matters, because you could read everything that I just told you. It's on the internet. You could read about the disc. The takeaway is this. We are all predictably different, each one of us, right? We're very predictable. And the more we understand that, the easier we'll interact with others. Number two. If I know as much about you as you know about yourself, I can communicate very well with you. If I know more about you than you know yours about yourself, I can motivate you to do something. Why? Because at that point, my extra piece of knowledge that I have, Matt, will enable me to do something that's a given in motivation, which is what? I cannot motivate you to do something that I want. I have to find what it is that motivate what it is that you want, accentuate that to you, make that shine, and then motivate you to do that. So in other words, I can motivate you to do something that you want, but I cannot motivate you to do something that I want. So the the expertise and the genius is to understand the person in front of you, to see if that person is motivated by money. They're motivated by a compliment. They're motivated by a promotion. They're motivated by a security in the job. Do you see what I mean? So the more you know about the person in front of you, I've seen people that they tell me, you know what? I don't want to raise. Don't give me a 50% raise. Just promise me that for the next five years, I'm not going to be fired. Give me the same salary without a raise, but guarantee me that I'm going to have a job. A single mother that has kids right? She wants to know that she's going to have a steady income over the next X amount of years. She doesn't. So do you see what I mean? People are motivated by different things. So when you look at that disc and those different personality types, it helps you know yourself, helps you know your team, helps you know your clients and so on. Do you ever encourage growth in different, like if I'm strong leadership or but bad with the people pleasing thing. Mm. Do you encourage that or do you try to have people build up their ah, strength? Good question. Very good question. Very, very good question. Let me tell you what I've noticed. I can usually tend to work with people that are aggressive to have them slow down their tempo a little bit. But people that are usually on the conservative, I don't want to say slow, like mentally slow, but they're just personality. They're a little more slow to take steps or to change it's more challenging to get them to become more aggressive. So aggressive people, you can get them to be a little more passive, but passive people, it's difficult to get them to be more aggressive. But to answer your question also, yes. Sometimes, look, to look at this from a different angle, Matt, within that analysis, there's a way that I see myself. There's a way that I want people to see me. And there's a way that I react under stress and when I'm upset or angry or going through a very hard time. That last one, very difficult to change. Meaning if somebody gets very quiet when they're in an argument, they shut down. Or when they're stressed, they shut down. Difficult to change. But if someone is quiet when he's around people, I can get them to change to be a little more sociable. Do you get it? So what that means is the environment that you're in also factors into what you can change within yourself or not change.
it's it's a very interesting discussion we could you know i would love to talk more about it but i know you know i, I don't want to take more time out of what we have set to discuss but it is a very interesting topic the more you dive into it right because you look at it there's for example what i want you to see is that i'm a very calm friendly person but in reality no i'm not right you could see something about me where you notice that when i get angry i start getting loud or when i get angry i become quiet or i love my son more than my daughter i would never see that or or admit it but you observing my relationship with my kids you're like hmm, you know what he favors this one over the other so that's the point you know there's things that we need to discover about ourselves that the more we talk about and the more we explore it helps us understand why we do certain things so how do you <clears throat> excuse me how do you take this information about the identities of people and use that to solve business problems? Like, what's the actionable step you take after you discover who these business owners are and who their employees are? Let me give you an example, Jeremy. I have a, a manager that has a team. They call out a lot. They call out sick, quote unquote, a lot. They're absent from work. They're, mo they're not motivated and so on right you get the idea right like they lack that enthusiasm to do their work mm -hmm. from talking with the business owner and we did this analysis it turned out that he's a very low i meaning he's not verbal mm. right and he's a very high s meaning he's very passive and he's resistant to change so what does that mean with his business when something would happen at work where he did not or she did not like it they get quiet they cross their hands and they get quiet so their team when i analyzed their team they were high i right and some of them were high c meaning they're very detail oriented and high i means they want to talk mm -hmm. so you have somebody that doesn't want to talk with somebody that wants to talk big no-no right so there's no communication i'll give you another example i have i had a ceo that was a very high d leaders tend to have a very high d in them like very dominant kind of personality assertive he would walk into a meeting with people i'm i'm, I'm gonna stop using sic but people that were different than him right so he would go on and tell them we have this problem that we need to solve what are we going to need to do the people that are in the room that are more analytic give me more details give me more information what is it that we need to do so they're quiet because they're not getting information and this, the leader or the ceo sending like this and he would literally turn around and walk out of the room and be like you know what forget it i'm gonna solve it myself they don't know what happened and he doesn't know that they were quiet because they were waiting soliciting more information he took it that they were like him right mm -hmm. they're same personality and meaning that they're quiet means that they have nothing to say so he walked out so do you see once you start knowing the personalities you could start looking at the problems that happen at work and see if this is related to that so maybe that means making a change in personnel or maybe it means changing how you communicate exactly how you interact with them be more vocal hmm. be more vocal and that's what i mean like you know those aggressive types when you work with them they tend to be take a pause like oh you know what wait a second you are right maybe if i i did not tell them what the problem was i did not explain what it was if i take the time to slow the tempo a little bit and be more communicative communicative with them it makes a world of a difference so yes it goes back to changing that part of the personality so it's almost like a whole separate vertical where you have the business systems and concepts and then the personalities and culture within it that are trying to follow that system. And it's kind of the law versus exactly. people and, you, it. and I know the listeners couldn't see how you're doing your hands in parallel. Mm -hmm. I would say the exact same thing that you did, but I would just put the people and the culture at the bottom as the foundation, the roots, and put the business operation at the top. That foundation is what you really, it's the unseen part of the business, right? That people, it's intangible. People don't see it. So they assume that, you know what, it's running the business. Let's just focus on sales and on the service and on the complaints and on, 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 right? But they fail to pay much attention to that bottom part that really is what I work on. Most of the business, 90% of my work is on people-to-people -people interactions. And it tends, once you fix it, 
it solves the rest. What is like, what do you think is the most important first step? Like, do you identify both sides of that where you're looking at the systems that they have to run their business and then the people who are actually managing and running it? Like, what do you think is the most important thing to look at when the business is not where they want to be? The The people people. for, I always start with the people always. As a default, I start with the people. I ask questions about the business. That's how I start. I mean, I never sit with somebody like, hey, are you an annoying kind of person? Are you a quiet kind of person, (laughs) right? Like I don't start with the person. I start with the business. But once we start working, once we start working, right? Remember I told you at the beginning, the ask part, I ask questions, ask about the business. And yes, I ask the the client, you know, what are the pain points that you have? What would you like to see happening? What were you planning, hoping to be at? And so on. But I ask about the business. Step one, let's blow up what's inside of us, bring it out. Let's bring everything out in the open, see what's good, bad, ugly, what, what our points of strength are, weaknesses. We start with the person and then we work our way into the business. Because I can't fix the business if the person doesn't know who they are, right? So you have to do that discovery and then you start approaching the business. Do you have the leaders administer tests for like all their employees and stuff so you can start figuring out the I su- personality Yeah, types? I suggest it. Most of them do so once they see the value, like they see the inherent value and in what they got out of it for themselves, right? Yeah, some of them say, no, you know what? I'm good enough to do it for myself. I don't force it upon anybody, but most of them, once they do see that discovery that happened from it, automatically the normal next step is for them to do it with their team because then it helps them better interact all together. Is there like an online resource to take that test or something? I give them access to do it. I'm certified in that disk analysis. I had to go like through a course and a program and become certified in it. So I, I share that test with them to do, right? And then once they get the results and I get it, we go through a couple of meetings to go through it. If somebody wanted to take this test for themselves or their employees, how would they go about doing that? They just reach out to me. And it's not, and here's the good thing about it, Jeremy, and I'm glad you asked that. You just remind me to bring up a, a one point. I have clients that I've worked with for an hour and I never saw them again. And I have some that I've been working with for over two years. My point is I have people that sit with me like, you know what, we want to take the disc. We want to meet with you a couple of times to understand it. We shake hands and we're done. If they need me again in a year for something else, so be it. But my point is, it could just be that, right? Like I do not try, and that's one thing I take pride in. I don't try to open up unnecessary cans of worms, to, so to speak, with my clients. Like, ah, oh, you know what? Now we need to do this. Now we need to do this. No, you know, we do what they want. And we're done if anything else arises. I don't try to keep them on the hook where they keep working with me, right? Because it, I, I think it's a healthy type of business operating way, right? So that when they do need me, they come back to me again. They actually see that incremental value in everything that we're doing. So there's no like upfront two, three-year commitment, right? We do it month at a time or a meeting at a time. So yes, people like that, they can reach out to me. I send them the test, they do it, It takes about 20 minutes. I get the results, I call them, we can meet over coffee one time, we can meet for a couple hours, and then I offer them my suggestions. They, we part ways, they think it over, and I leave it up to them. I don't keep harassing with calls, you know, like if they wanna come back, they're more than welcome to, and yeah. How do you do the psychological evaluations on very small businesses where there's two, three, or even a sole proprietor, where it's just him. Like Then it's her. him and his clients, Matt. Then you, we do the exact same thing. I do it on the business owner, and then we look at how does that impact his interaction with his clients, right? Some of them, like here's a very interesting fact, Matt, and I could show you this graph later. The gist of it is this. It's a statistic that the National Sales Association ran. It said, and don't hold me to the numbers, but you'll get the idea. It said that 4 to 12% of sales reps make more than three to five calls to their clients. Another statistic said that 80% of clients change their mind and say yes to do a business after nine to 12 calls. 
Do you see the gap? So most sales reps assume that once they've done two or three or four calls, ah, that's it, I'm done, they don't want me. But here's the other trick. If you do make 12 points of contact, it's not, hey, do you wanna work with us? What about now? What about now, what about, right? There's a different way to do it. So back to your question, when I have a business owner that runs his or her business on their own, if they're an introvert or if they're somebody that is task oriented and they don't pay attention at all to the people part, do you know what I find in their business? They have a notebook that has some phone numbers for some customers that work with them every day. They rely on their phone to ring if the, to get business. They don't have any kind of follow-up. They don't track their reviews. All they want to do is when my phone rings, somebody makes an appointment, I'm going to go do the work, and I'm done. They don't focus on the people part at all. Do you see what I mean? Like they're task, task, task. So those types of people, I have to open up their eyes to see that the world out there is not just me going out with my van, with my equipment to do a job and then leave. No, right? There's something called marketing. There's something called following up with customers, checking on them, right? Networking. That, that's where it helps. So even it, back to what you were saying, yes, it could be a one-person business or it could be a hundred-person business. The same idea and the same logic applies. So do you know if there's any kind of a breakdown of the general population? Like, do like 25% yeah. fit in each category or is some higher than others? The highest one are the steady. The next one are the influencers. I, I'm not going to say the, the percentages because I do not honestly remember. I think, I don't remember, honestly, but I know S is the highest and then the influencers. And then you have the compliant group. The smallest group are the Ds, the dominant personalities. Hmm. Out, of, out of my clients, Jeremy, when I work with them, every... 10 to 15 analysis that I do, I get maybe two that are a high D. Do you see what I mean? Like that's kind of like how I, I measure it. I always get people that are ISC, CS, or IC, or IS. Some people have that little bit of D, but to see that like spiking really high D on the graph, rare. Rare, yeah. So in general, we should be focusing all of our communications to deal with people who like to, they're social people. And, and the S one is, is that's the- That's a um, very good question. Steady. That's, that's a very good question. Think of it this way. The S, it's kind of like this, Jeremy. Like I'm holding up like a little pin. If you look at it 360 degrees, that S, steady, resistant to change, not too verbal, right? There's like different attributes to that person. It's not one thing. So yes, but to, that's a very good question. When you are approaching somebody, assume that the majority of them will be, without even calling them S-I-C-D, the majority of them will be people that are looking to build rapport, that are looking to build a relationship with you versus you just walking in and be like, all right, so what is it that needs to be fixed? Let's do this now, all right? No, there are people that are looking to for someone to hear them out, to build a relationship before you approach the work part. And I'll give you a perfect example. When I go out to meet with a new client, I don't bring up what I do and what I can help with until the last 20 minutes of our second meeting. So if you look at two hours, 120 minutes, I don't bring up anything about what I do until those last 20 minutes. Because you want to relate it to something, Jeremy? The more people will connect with you and identify with what you're saying, that's where when we go back to like every business has a competition, they'll go with you because of you, right? They're going to buy into you. And if you really, we all hear that, right? We're all in the marketing business that happened to sell a business or a product or a service. We always hear that, right? We're all in the marketing business. What it really means is that you focus on that people relationship. That's what's going to differentiate you from your competition that's just out there to sell, 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 right? So that's what I work on, building that 
one-to-one -one relationship so that you can go out and get the business later. And I guarantee you, most of the time, if you do this properly, they won't ask you how much it is. If you build that trust and you show them that you have the solution to their need, yes, I mean, to some extent, of course, you're not going to go charge something ridiculous, but it's that building of that personal relationship part that really matters. Do you recommend that for sales and marketing people specifically to kind of profile their potential clients and prospects through that kind of a lens to kind of understand who they're selling to and what's what that kind of personality they're going to be dealing with in let, sales will be? Let me restate what you said in a different way. I would suggest that those people, because obviously, right, Matt, and you correct me if I'm wrong, if I'm in the marketing business, I'm not going to be able to walk out with a sheet of paper telling every client, hey, can you take this test so I get to know who they are, right? So what my clients do, what I get people programmed to do is once they do the test, step three and four, meaning meeting our third and fourth and fifth meeting, I show them how to interpret the person that they're going to be sitting with from like the first five minutes when they shake hands to tell if that person's a D, an I, an S, or a C. Like I literally have, and it's funny when I talk with some of my clients, they tell me now they walk around with like a little visual graph in their mind when they're talking to somebody, oh, this person's this, this person's an S, this person's a C, right? There's cues that you can pick up on. So I show them how to do that, right? So that especially people that are in sales and marketing. I mean, you brought up the, the perfect example, Matt. Sales and marketing, teachers, physicians, trainers. I'm trying to think of the clients that I have that this works the best with. People that 99% of their business is out there exposure to others, they benefit the most from this. Because once you know yourself and then you go through that course where I show you if somebody does this, 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 that means they're that. If somebody does a mix of this and this, that means they're that, right? You can start when you're talking to somebody, know what they want, know how to communicate with them, right? What I told you earlier, if you know more about as much as about me as I know about you and vice versa, we're going to communicate well. You're going to know how to motivate me to bring me in in my own way so that I can become your client, right? You could service me. It's all about people. And that's why, again, forget your product, forget your service. Everybody out there is doing the same thing. Focus on that one-to-one -one interpretation of the person. So yes, those people, do, did that answer your question, mm -hmm. right? So it's not that I really give them a pamphlet or a little uh, USB drive, tell them to give this to your client to do the test. No, but I show them through the interaction, how can they better understand that person? Because to look at it, I'll answer like one more minute real quick. In the end, to bring all of this together, there's something called the, there's a, a, something called the Johari uh, concept. The end result where everybody wants to be in any conversation is that me and you are in, it's what's called the arena. The arena is where I know everything about you that I need to know, and you know everything about me that you need to know. We're both open and transparent. You know what upsets me. You know what will make me happy. You know what will make me right. That's the arena. Everybody wants to be there. You want to get out of the blind spot. You want to get out of the other areas where I know something about you that you don't know and vice versa, or we both don't know anything about each other. We all try to gravitate into and an environment where we know each other simply because we don't want any misunderstandings. I don't want to make a joke that will be offensive to you. I don't want to rush you into a decision if you're that slow calculating type of person. Do you get it? That's the end result. So with that end result in mind, how do we get there? By you knowing yourself, I know myself, and then I know about you and you know about me. And that's where that personality interpretation matters. And it's not a big thing. I mean, we're not talking about something that's thousands of dollars that takes a year. It's a very simple, like I said, a couple of meetings. And again, I don't by all means, let me just state this. I am in no way saying this to try to market or sell myself. There's other people out there that do it. So my point is, even if you find it for free online, do it. But my point is, you don't have to come to me. 
right? I'm not again really in all sincerity, I'm not doing this to market my business, but I'm just showing the value in this, right? If you know another coach that you've worked with, there's great coaches out there that I know and don't know. You know anyone that you can work with? Go out there. It's worth the time to do it. It really is. So um, do you, have you seen any like success stories of businesses who have implemented this kind of a strategy and, and really seen any kind of shifts in oh, their, yeah. their business? Oh, or can yeah. Can you share any stories? Oh, oh, yes, 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 definitely. And here's the thing which I need to clarify. There's no silver bullet or light switch that you flick and like, oh, I'm done, right? This is a gradual organic transformational process. So with that in mind, yes, definitely. There's a lot of businesses that client that I was telling you about that his team was very disconnected and they all complained about, so to speak, a toxic environment at work. Once that dialogue opened and I encouraged the owner, I said, every week, have a meeting with them, bring donuts in, connect with them. How's your family? How's your car? How's your bird? How's your goldfish? Right. Talk, build up. He didn't know anything about them. Right. So that motivates and gives a sense of belonging to the team to want to do what they're doing, right? Not everybody works for money, right? Or else millionaires wouldn't work, right? So that perfect, that's a good scenario that comes to my mind where because of that relaxed environment at work, productivity increased. And it was reflected, believe it or not, Jeremy, their customer complaints went down because a lot of them were very resentful when they go out there and they know that nobody has their back in the office, when a customer would complain about something, they would dread that complaint going back being escalated in the office. So they would become very resentful and very defensive, which would come across as very hostile with the client. So the client would then feed off that hostility and it gets worse, right? It would like be like that negative cycle. So it, it did create a very healthy environment at work. I can't translate it into money. Right. But you get the idea, right? It just it's like a company culture shift exactly. that happened. Exactly. Yeah, I know that's like a big buzzword that we've talked a lot about a lot on this podcast is the the culture yeah. of companies and how that eventually will calculate your bottom line. It'll have impact on it. Exactly. Um, it's hard to calculate, but but yeah, we've heard so many stories about how having that positive company culture and, and a good relationship with your people just dramatically improves the business and and makes it more fun to run the business and be an employee in the business. Absolutely correct. And to add a, a little piece to that, because if you really think about the culture, culture, when I, if I, if, if you take the sequence of the events, right, I, I think about something that triggers, a th or I think about something that triggers an emotion in my mind, and that emotion triggers a behavior, and that behavior, if I do it over and over and over, it becomes a habit, and that habit becomes the culture of the business. So if I'm always seeing my business owner or the manager as somebody that's hostile and rude and aggressive and cold with me, that's the emotion I'm going to get is resentment and negativity. My behavior, do you see what I mean, right? So exactly your point is 100% correct. The culture is everything in the business. And it all starts with that little teeny seed of that bad misunderstood thought in your mind, which is what we fix. So for businesses who might be struggling or trying to start a new path to growth, short of hiring you, what are some steps they could take some common things that might be helpful for them to kind of right the ship of their business. Take a pause, take a pause, take one day, kind of like a mental retreat, sit back. There's magic when you write things down on paper. There, There's a magic in the tangible when you take your thoughts and put them on paper. So sit with a blank sheet of paper, write down everything that you're not happy with, the things that you are happy with, the things that you want to happen, and look at them and think about why they're not happening. Don't be subjective, like you said earlier, Matt, about myself with my business, right? Be very objective, be very open-minded, be very honest. Write it down on paper. Strip away the emotion, strip away the judgment, be very factual. This is the reality of the matter where I'm at. This is where I want it to be. This is what's missing. And then think about how do you solve those things on your own? Google it, reach out to a friend, a colleague that's in the same 
business line is yourself networking reach out to any other coach that's in your area right there's a value when you do find the right honest coach that's not out there to hook you on for many years right and you can ask around in your area there's a strong value because they help you change your mindset that's the key word in a coach they help you change your mindset and that's exactly what you need in that situation so you could do it on your own pick up you know read something about it and take it baby steps don't rush Okay, great. And do you have any announcements or anything about your business you want to share? I know you have a podcast as well. Yes, I I, uh, I have a podcast that I put out there with a colleague of mine, uh, George Elias. It's called Back to Basics on the Feliciano School of Business uh, channel with Montclair State University. I encourage the listeners to listen to it as well. We talk about a lot. Every couple of weeks, we'll bring up one of these topics that we're talking about today. We talk about the art of delegation, about motivation, about uh, body language, about different topics that matter to business owners and uh, employees alike. So I encourage people to listen to it, hopefully to be of some use to anyone. Great. Well, Mo, thanks so much for coming on the My show. My pleasure. It was a pleasure. Thank you very much, guys. Thank you for your time. Stories from the Top is your guide to successful business development. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts or find Edge of Cinema on YouTube. Stories from the Top is an Edge of Cinema production hosted by Matthew Skura and Jeremy Schmidt. To learn more or get in touch, visit edgeofcinema.com slash podcast.